Welcome to the Pay Yourself First podcast. My name is Chris Jolly, and I'm on a mission to financially empower millions of entrepreneurs. I want you to make and keep more money so that you can begin implementing and turbocharging a plan for creating financial freedom your way during the life cycle of your current business without spending a ton of time or becoming a professional investor. You see, most of the financial teachings out there are made for employees, not entrepreneurs. If you wouldn't listen to someone who doesn't have kids about parenting, why take business financial advice from someone without a business? Are you ready to break free of bad advice and follow the trail of other uncommon entrepreneurs so you can get from where you are now to the lifestyle you were aiming to create when you started your business? Then stick around. Here comes another episode of Pay Yourself First, where the only investment we offer is the one you make in yourself. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited to be with you today, as I always am, because I have a chance to interview another amazing entrepreneur today. Her name is Shiloh Miner, and she is a life coach who specifically helps high-achieving women uh, create extraordinary marriages. Shiloh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. I know that we're going to have some amazing conversations today. I can't wait to see what kind of value we're going to deliver for the audience. So it's going to be a super good time. And I'm going to have some questions around the financial part as well. We'll get to that kind of later on. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about how you got started in this and who comes to you and what kind of help they're looking for? Sure, absolutely. So I'm what you might call an accidental entrepreneur. I never planned to run a business. I was just like, no, that's fine. I'll have jobs. I don't mind that. But after having kids and my marriage started having troubles and I married a great guy and I'm going, why is my marriage having troubles? We're both good people. I really went deep to figure out what creates long-lasting, passionate, sustainable marriages. And I discovered that there's a lot of things that nobody knows. There's tons of things that nobody knows when they get married and that people have a lot of unnecessary divorces. And so through all that learning, I transformed my marriage and made it more what it was possible to be. You can see that sometimes, oh, this could be so good if we could just communicate or usually we put some label on it. Like you have to go to therapy or we have to go to therapy. And and then if your husband doesn't want to go to therapy or you think we're never going to be what we can be, women lose hope. And then eventually they just shut down and leave. And so when I discovered how to do that, I immediately thought, I have to share this like far and wide. I have to give this to other women because it's just an essential tool for enjoying your marriage. A lot of the advice I got was really polarizing. It's either just put up with it because that's marriage and those are your vows and you have a good situation. It was never horrific. On paper, it was a good situation. Or it's not the right person and your life is short and your happiness is important. Just try again. And I had learned enough up to that point to know that second marriages have a higher failure rate than first marriages. And that's not really how it works for a lot of people. And so I thought, no, I want to stay married and I want to be fulfilled. And so that's what I help other women do now. That's amazing. And it really highlights how there's this big rift in our culture where a lot of people feel like it's one or the other, right? You're either in marriage or you're leading a fulfilling life. And it it totally shouldn't be that way. And even statistically speaking, if you look at most of the research they've done, people who are married tend to live longer, they tend to be happier, they're wealthier, all of these things. Yeah, that's exactly it. And there's, I think that there's a bit of a lie in the spiritual community that you're going to outgrow someone. Oh, you became so spiritual that you outgrew that person. And just the language of it, is that really what spirituality is? You become incapable of keeping your commitments. You become incapable of loving people who are different than you. I don't know about that. That sounds like immaturity to me, right? 
And not to say there are not legitimate reasons to get divorced. I'm not against all divorce, but I really believe that the true fulfillment in life comes with learning how to give and receive love, not becoming really skilled at avoiding anybody who makes you uncomfortable because marriage will make you uncomfortable. Like you're not married if you haven't been uncomfortable, (laughs) like that's going to happen. And it's making the gold out of that and finding your own maturity and your own depth. And then through that, enjoying that other person more. Absolutely. Shiloh, tell me, what is it that you discovered that kind of helped resurrect or reposition, if you will, your marriage? And what are you doing to help the women who come to you? Because I know there are so many people who go to couples therapy. And according to the numbers, it's pretty much just as effective as not going or doing nothing uh, or whatever. And then I see people who go to a coach and then they get results in three or four months. I love that you brought that up because people think couples therapy is the port of last resort. It's our chance, but usually it doesn't work. And one of the reasons I believe it doesn't work is because You're not taking responsibility for yourself when you go to a therapist. You're thinking, I'm going to drag my partner there and that therapist is going to validate why I think they're wrong. And if they don't, I'm going to leave. And if they do, that person's going to feel attacked. And so you end up in this triangle of misery and blame, right? Whereas what I learned is that there is, that your relationship is a mirror, first of all. It's bringing up your stuff. And then also that your relationship with yourself needs to be deepened and taken to a level that you don't need as a single person to enjoy a marriage. For example, if your partner criticizes you and you're very critical of yourself already, you're going to lose it because you've already been thinking you're not doing good enough. You're already hard on yourself. Like I had this as a mother. I'm already, house isn't clean and can't manage these children. So if anything was even breathed about that, I'm in a puddle and I'm either angry or I'm bawling my eyes out. That's because I've already been berating myself. I've already been being so hard on myself. So I learned that this aspect of having a conscious relationship with yourself mitigates like 50% of the pain. Like you're causing yourself all that pain. And then when your partner taps it ever so gently, you explode. And it's like, right? So I really learned that a lot of my stories, a lot of the narrative that I was bringing to my relationship was fully my childhood experiences from my marriage. I was projecting my family of origin directly onto my new family and creating the same dynamics with my thinking and that I was making my husband emotionally unsafe. So I wanted him to make me feel safe. And I was telling him how he should do that, but that was criticizing him. So all that criticism, all that, the instinctual way that we communicate to our partners is often a form of criticism. Even if you say it gently, you're saying you're wrong. You're not doing this right. Why don't you do this? And we focus on the negative. And turning that all around to what's my relationship with myself, I help women see that, make it conscious and improve it through inner child work. And then what am I doing to make my life wonderful? We just blame our husbands for how our lives suck. And you'll see women get divorced and then they get fit and then they're living their best life. And it's this big divorce party. And it's like, nobody was putting you in a cage when you were married. Yeah. It was just uncomfortable for you emotionally to change the rules. It was uncomfortable for you to renegotiate the contract and say, hey, I want to go to the gym. I want to travel with my friends. I want to change my job. And maybe your partner go, really? I don't know. And maybe not be 100% co-signing on it. Like, it's not usually that person is preventing you completely from, from doing for yourself. And so again, once you do all this inner work, your relationship changes on its own. Yeah, I think that's such a key point and and so important. My girlfriend actually is a sex, love and relationship coach. And so she has 
women ask all the time, I want to do this work, but what if my husband doesn't respond well to it? Or what if he's not into it? Or what if he doesn't want to take part? And just, it doesn't matter. This is about you and how you feel about yourself. And when you change that, everything else will around you change. And it's absolutely true because I've seen it happen so many times. It's amazing. Oh, I, I love it. It's, that makes sense why you're so well informed. Like, why does this man know so much about my niche? Yeah, no, it's it really is incredible. And like you said, it can be in a few months. And people are going to therapy for years and just fighting with each other. And it's a real tragedy. Like it's truly a tragedy of our times that this kind of understanding is so hidden. Yeah. And I think it, it really is about the time that we're in, because if you look at generations before, their marriages weren't way more outstanding than the ones people are having today. Their challenges are pretty much the same. It was just they were making a conscious decision. We might not always get along. It might not always be the best, but we've decided we're in this together and we're going to keep at it. And it feels like to me, once you decide that you don't have to follow by that anymore, that's why second marriages don't work and third marriages just don't work. Because now you're just like, if I run into something and I don't like it, I'll just move on and there we go yeah yeah definitely and because there's when you have in your mind that this is my person really that it's family right that's what I realized when you get married and you take a traditional perspective on it that person's your family which means you fight with them and brings up your family stuff first of all like you can feel trapped you can feel like oh my god like you can get into this victim complex about it because they're your family. But it also means that if you take a conscious and creative perspective to it, it's I'm going to have this, this is going to have my back for a long time and I'm going to have theirs. And that's a huge asset. That's a huge benefit to me. So how can I find a way to overcome these challenges? Whereas if there's always a overcome or leave option, okay, I can overcome or, or I could leave. You're always going to be stuck in the, should I stay or should I go thinking instead yeah. of the problem solving thinking. Absolutely. That's really interesting because I'm reading a book on wealth and wealth creation right now and how people in the last century have gotten wealthy. And it talks about the effect of marriage on wealth. And if you look at the people who earn the most money and have the highest net worth, 99% of them are married. And as you are less and less likely to be married, you're also less and less likely to accumulate wealth. So having that person behind you is, is so important because it, life is expensive when you're on your own. And when there's two of you, everything becomes so much easier. And it's a buffer against all the hard times, right? Yep. One person gets sick or one person loses a job, other person can pick up the slack. And yeah, we have this individualistic idea that we should have make all enough money for ourselves and should do everything ourselves. And that's a big burden. That's hard for anybody to pull off. And so, yeah, I feel... One of the things that I've seen is in shift in my mindset about marriage is that originally it was a very romantic mindset. It's all about how I feel every moment of the day. It's always about having these romantic moments, which are very important. I, I definitely promote that and support it. What that thinking can do is make you completely take for granted the stability this person provides you. And then it makes it invisible. And then anytime they're not providing you peak experiences, you're irritated and you're annoyed. And it's, no, this person is like, stabilizing my life for the long term. And I think what I always joke with women who have a lot of women I work with have very stable husbands and they're like bored. And I'm like, there's women who have husbands who are not boring and they don't like that very much. The ones who don't stick with their jobs and are unpredictable and are very exciting. And those men are very stressful. So sometimes women like me and who are drawn to me, we're very we're always growth minded and we're looking for change. And we have that very feminine, expansive identity, which is, is exciting for us. And then can look at our husbands and judge him and be like, he's so mundane. He just does the same stuff all the time. And it's like, the reason you get to live such a vibrant life is because he's providing a container that is predictable. 
So now I'm so thankful for the differences between me and my husband because it allows me to be me and have my exploratory type lifestyle, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as much as so many people want to pretend like there's no differences between the genders these days, there aren't gender roles and all of that, uh, what you said is so key and so true. The reason that men seem that way or the reason women seem that way is because we are different and we have different natures, but it's the combination and the balance of those natures that makes something really special. Yeah, absolutely. When I was coming from a modern perspective that we're all the same, I judged my husband on feminine standards. Why is he not like my girlfriends? Why doesn't he act like me? Why doesn't I, why don't I relate to him? Like I relate to my good girlfriends and it's like impossible standard. And women are going all over the place and judging their men by their girlfriends and then being like, ah, he's not as nurturing as my girlfriends. (laughs) Yeah, because he's a dude. So usually not the same as your girlfriends. (laughs) Totally. Okay, now I want to talk a little more specifically about some of the women you help because uh, now, of course, everybody can relate. We all have the same kind of struggles and relationships and all of that. But specifically when you're like in the corporate world or you're an entrepreneur or something of that nature, you have this whole other thing that takes up so much of your life and time and energy on top of your relationship and your family and whatever else have you. What are some of the maybe special challenges that women in those positions kind of face that you see? Great question. One of the main challenges they have is turning it off, like turning off the go-go. And so they'll have extremely high standards for themselves. And that will create a lot of tension because out there in the world, they're kicking ass and taking names. Like they're really effective, take a lot of pride in that. And it's awesome, right? And they feel really good about it. And then they come into their home environment and they're trying to maintain a level of perfection, like whether cleanliness or decor or how their kids operate. And that tips them over. It's too much. They become burnt out and stressful. They become irritable. And they start to treat their husband like an employee, like they're trying to get him to help them maintain an impossible standard. And he's resistant to it, not doing it. And so what I try to help them with is admitting that they're not superhuman, first of all, like you can't actually keep everything humming at 100%. You can't. And if you want to prioritize intimacy with your husband, you want to come into your home and prioritize intimacy with your husband over everything else. Like all those little nitty gritty things that bug you, The really cool thing is often all those things are bugging you because you're not getting your emotional needs met by your husband. So if he doesn't even talk to you and you don't even have a connection and he drops stuff on the floor, like you're going to kill him. Like the rage is peaking. But when I have them go, okay, you're pretty burnt out and you could use some help. Isn't that right? Yeah. Nobody helps me. Let's talk about how to get help from your husband. How do you talk to him? How do you ask? How do you be vulnerable? And also how do you appreciate him? Because he's thinking, oh, she does everything herself. She doesn't need my help. All she does is look at me like I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to retreat, retreat, retreat from her. And so their special challenge is letting go of control in the home sphere and not using perfection as the standard, but connection as the standard. Yeah, I have a feeling that if you were feeling really connected and in the bedroom, maybe having great sex and cuddling, you probably wouldn't care that much if there were a few dishes in the sink, right? That's exactly it. And you'll see that happen very quickly. They'll start doing some of the little homework assignments I give them. And then they'll be like, oh my God, we're flirting. It's so fun. And they're like, I don't care if he folds the towels wrong. Like I'm having so much fun. I'm so happy, which is 
really, it brings you back to the early days. Cause when you met this guy, he didn't do all those things right either, yeah. but you were so happy and you were so fulfilled. That was secondary. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's so easy, like you said, to continue the mindset that we have in work and, and to bring it home and to get caught up in the productivity culture and the guilt of feeling like we're not doing everything and all things to all people. And I I know personally, because I know that I'm wired like this, if there's, I'm very, I think a lot. And if something is going through my mind and I feel like things aren't settled somewhere, it's hard for me to sit down and concentrate and be with my partner and be intimate because I'm over here, not in my body. So for people who are having those kind of struggles, what is something they can do to help them like let go of the to-do list and just enjoy the moment? That's a really good question because you're right. People will say, I have so much to do. All I can do is think about it. Last thing on my mind is sexuality for some women when they have the list. They're like, I don't want to. Really... Breathing is really big. Just breathing. Like there's lots of different breathwork modalities, I'm sure. But breathing in and then breathing out twice as slow and doing that 10 times. And I also have women just put their hands on their bodies and go, what am I feeling right now? Like, what is the, because you think you're thinking about all this stuff, but really you're anxious. Your body is anxious and you're blaming it on the jobs you have to get done. But like your body's anxious. So that's the first cue, right? Yep. And so having them get into their bodies and go, okay, I'm anxious and nurture that. Of course you're anxious. You got a lot on your plate. You're working so hard because for me and for so many of the women I work with, we're desperate for someone to validate how hard we're working. Like for someone to say, man, like you are holding up all these balls. You are juggling all that stuff. And because we're not getting that validation externally and we're not giving it to ourselves, we feel like I must have to do more. I didn't get it done. I'm not perfect yet. And no one has celebrated me. Where's my celebration? Where's my Emmy? And so instead it's telling yourself, and I did this work a lot personally because I had impossible mom standards. I took longer than I wanted to have kids. So I had too many years to idealize it and imagine uh -huh. how amazing I would be and how amazing family life would be. And it's a shit show on many occasions when you have yeah. small children, like really wildly weird and messy. And I had to, I chose to, and it's changed my life to really have a practice of, wow, Shiloh, look at all you do. Everybody's fed. These kids have a mom who does her best and tries to attune to them and says, sorry, instead of a standard of, I don't ever yell. The food's always perfect and organic. I'm teaching them things. They're always not hitting each other. It's like seeing the things I do. And that's a microcosm. That's where your relationship yourself is projected onto your relationship with your husband. Because now I see all the ways of what I'm doing. And I tell myself about it over and over. And then I can look at my husband and go, okay, maybe we haven't been on a date in like God knows how long, but he plays with the kids in every spare minute. He doesn't go out and burn time. He never buys things crazy without asking. You take that for granted because that's already his character. Yeah. Just like you take yourself for granted. I'm an intentional mom who tries real hard. And so this taking for granted is the poison, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's so easy to do and so easy to look at all of the things that we're doing wrong. And it's just years of conditioning and having all of these impossible standards we see in TV and culture. And the truth is life isn't like that. No, no, it's not. It's conditioning. And I think it's a bit hardwired too, right? Our brains are wired to look sure. for the problems and always trying to survive. And now that we're in myself and my clients in fairly comfortable situations, we're still looking for problems. Like right. in a sense, we've arrived, like as far as humanity is concerned, we have enough food, we have stable shelter. Our kids are like 
survivability is like way up, but we're like, but something's got to be wrong. And so we need to constantly be um, mediating against that natural negativity bias. 100%. Now, as well as anybody, Shiloh, the way that the childhood traumas and wounds that we live out, the stories and programmings we take on from other people affect our lives well into our adulthood. And of course, I see this with people and their money stories all the time. So what was the story you got around money growing up? And uh, where would you say you're at with it now? Oh, that's such a good question. I've been diving into this money story since I became an entrepreneur. And part of the reason I'm an accidental entrepreneur and didn't have any intention is because my money story was entrepreneurs waste a lot of time and money. They don't spend time with the family while they blow the money. (laughs) It was a really negative story because I had seen people with their grandiose visions invest a whole bunch of money, nothing to show for it, lots of shame, like just the worst. And so for me, it's a challenge. I'm still working with it, but it's, it's that you don't, first of all, have to invest the farm to be an entrepreneur. That was a lie. And that's something I see still sold everywhere. Unless you burn the bridges and go all in, you're not for real. You're playing games. And that's a story that I actively resist. I'm like, no, this is, it's not about how much money you spend. That means you're a serious business person. And also that you will make mistakes and that's okay. You're going to make investments and I've made investments that weren't what I thought they were, or I didn't capitalize on them as well as I could have. And really for me, I think the work is around shame of you don't know it all when you're learning to be an entrepreneur. And especially with my upbringing where it was all or nothing, black and white story, getting into the nuance of, yeah, you're going to have to do some trial and error with the money and that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely. And that point about burning the ships you brought up is so important. It's something that I love to talk about because I've done it both ways. I've just gone all in, taken every last dollar I have and not look back. And it can work, but it usually only works for a while. And then you don't have anything to fall back on because it's like rushing to build a house without putting in the foundation. If you don't have the the strength of that architecture, the first time you try to weather a storm, you're going to blow over. And I've also built a business more slowly and deliberately while I was working in a job. And when you do that, yeah, it does take longer. But if you can stay focused and you know that you have the stable income coming in, it takes away all of that, the constant worrying and wondering, and am I going to be able to keep this thing going? Yeah, I love hearing that because in a sense, I'm like that, but motherhood is my job. And so there's sometimes I feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing more. I should be growing faster. And no, motherhood's my main job. I have a a four-year-old and a six-year-old. And I made that choice when I had kids, that would be my priority. And so, yeah, I feel very validated and that's what I'm doing. I'm building this strong, I'm trying to build this strong foundation where it's very clear what I do. I find systems that work for me. And then as my kids get older, I can invest more and more time into it. And I don't have to, it's really the shiny object syndrome is real. Like as an Enneagram seven and (laughs) that kind of person, I'm like, let's do something fun with this. Let's find the quick way. Let's make it a game. And so it's been a discipline for me to have that constant, steady effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to remember too, we see all these 
people glorified like Elon Musk and all of these entrepreneurs who do really well. And would I like that level of success? Sure. I wouldn't turn it down if it came to me. At the same time, I don't want to work 18 hours a day every day for the rest of my life. I want to have a life and have a family and become financially free and enjoy my time. Not to say that they're not enjoying their time, but we just have this unrealistic picture of what it's supposed to be. And for most people, that's not even what they desire. That's not what financial freedom is to them. They don't want to build rockets. They just want to have a nice life, do something they love, travel and spend time with their family. Oh yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly it. And and that's for me too. I love my work. So it's not that I'm like, oh, I want to get away from my work as fast as possible, but I want that time with my family and I want the time for self-care. And that's what I see with my clients and women generally is we don't prioritize our self-care. And then it doesn't matter how much money you have or how you're wonderful your husband is, you're not going to be happy. Like you have to put in the time. And that's when, when you talk about being financially free, one of the things that inspires me and my why is I want to be able to pay for all the alternative modalities, the acupuncture, the osteopath, the things that are going to make my quality of life good when I'm like 80. I'm yeah. looking for this. I'm 40 now. So I'm thinking about the next 40 years and then also travel and have some of those enjoyable things. So when I think of being financially free, it's like mostly just to maximize my quality of life. Right. Absolutely. For most people, it's not about money because at the end of the day, the money is just a number right in your account. It's what you do with it and the type of life that it can provide you. And so few people just want to say, oh yeah, I made $10 million and look, it says 10 million and now I'm happy and my life is fulfilled. Right. And there are people who are fabulously wealthy, who are totally miserable and people who are poorer than dirt that are the happiest people on earth. Right. So it's not how much you have, it's what you do with it and how you feel about it. That's so true. Okay, awesome. I, I think I can skip asking you what financial freedom looks like to you because we just went into that and you gave us a great description. So now I want to ask you uh, how you're working to create that. So where are you on your journey to financial freedom? And what has you found to be most useful in building your business and building up your assets? So I'm pretty, I guess I would say I'm in the awareness phase, like I'm gathering a lot of information. And because I had such an avoidant relationship with money most of my life, I'm still really scared to make investments, things that have any level of risk. And so I'm like really gathering resources and, and trying to get comfortable and get knowledge around how to do this in a way that's not risky or well, it will be risky, but not too risky, not sad-ish, but something that is a sustained way. Um, I'm hoping to get a portfolio that's more complex. I have like RSPs or whatever, but something that is more robust, that's a clear plan. Because for me, it's about retirement. It's about those golden years. I have a lot of elderly friends who are like 70, 80, 90, and it's like a whole nother phase of life between 65 and 85. It's it's yeah. a long life for a lot of women nowadays and men. So sorry. So you're saying, where am I at? And then the other thing is I, I read the book Profit First okay. and that saved me in terms of my fears about being an entrepreneur. Who, like he talks about how entrepreneurs are, he's eradicating entrepreneurial poverty. Like yeah. these entrepreneurs have no money, which was my perspective of it. So Profit First really has helped me. That's been my main step where, you know, certain percentage always goes to my family. So I never feel like, I'm not in that the time I'm spending doesn't go back to my family. And then a certain percentage goes into my business. And then I say for taxes and profit. And just doing that has relieved so much anxiety, has put a structure on it. I recommend that to anybody who's starting a new business and doesn't know where the money should go. And especially because he eradicates this notion of plow it all back in, plow it all back in, right? Oh, your business will go faster. And really what I find is that this is embarrassing, but I know that other people relate. 
You can spend on your business the way you spend on clothes and jewelry. You can just buy stuff because you like it and then call it building a business. <laughs> but it's because you wanted to buy stuff. It's because you had an acquisitive urge to take and have and be part of something glamorous, whether it's a mastermind or a course that some cool coach is running and they market to you effectively. And then you're like, oh, I need this thing. I need this thing. When is that really what's building your business? Maybe not. Uh, that's such a good point. And I think that all of us are guilty of that. I know so many people, myself included, who probably have way too many software subscriptions that they don't <laughs> use. I've started businesses and been like, all right, we need to go do a photo shoot and we got to do this and that and buy all of these things. And that's all fun and expensive, right. but it doesn't generate <laughs> revenue. What you need to do is sit down and figure out your market and work on your product and market test it with people and all of these things that we all know that you're supposed to do. But yeah, we get the shiny object and we can call it a business expense or whatever. So we just go off and do it. So it saves you from the business expense syndrome to make sure that not all your money is eligible for business expenses. I think that's a really good, that has yeah. really helped me. That's a great point. Absolutely. Okay. Now I want you to imagine that I've given you a magic wand. You can wave it one time and make anything happen inside of your business in the next six to 12 months. What is that one thing that you're going to ask for? I wasn't confused by these questions. Are these process things like make my business a certain way or is it outcome things like with the clients? What I want, this is what I'm working towards. So this should be what I pick. It's not one thing, but I want there, I want my system to work. I want there to be the clear, concise client journey that I can either do ads or I can do live webinars and that I have that all just a whale oiled machine. I want my business to be cohesive. I've been doing everything myself and talking to people directly and I like doing that but I'm desiring to mature this thing into something that works on its own if it needs to. Awesome. I love that. I can't wait to see where you're at in a year and see the progress you've made on that. Shiloh, it's been a pleasure having you on. I had a real blast chatting with you. I'm sure everybody's going to get a lot out of this. For people who want to know more about you and what you do, where's the best place they can go to find that out? So you can find my website at shilohminer.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Shiloh Miner, and Instagram, Shiloh the Love Coach. So any of those places, you can check me out, message me. I'm very happy to have conversations with anybody who's curious about their relationships and has questions. Awesome. Very cool. Now, before I let you go, your best piece of advice or parting words for all the other entrepreneurs out there. My best piece of advice is that just like a marriage, if you want this to be your business, stop asking yourself if it's going to work or not. Decide it's going to work and then take the steps to make that happen. I love it. Perfect. So easy. So concise. Great advice. All right, everybody, if you're listening out there and you've enjoyed this as much as I have, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast like I ask you to each and every episode and give us one of those five-star reviews as well. It helps us out a ton to get the word out to more entrepreneurs. And if you're an entrepreneur like our amazing guest Shiloh and you want to come on the podcast too, I'd love to chat. You can go to pyfpodcast.com for that. That's the letters pyfpodcast.com and we'll talk to you over there. Thank you all so much, Shiloh. Thanks again. Thank you. That was so much fun. If you've listened this far, Chances are you're an entrepreneur looking to become more financially literate and create financial freedom for yourself from your business. The Pay Yourself First podcast is definitely here to help with that. My goal is to continue to share what I've learned about using your business as the tool to create financial freedom. But let's face it, it would take me years to share with you everything you need to know via these episodes. Creating financial freedom is something that most people never even consider let alone make a plan for or take action towards. It's something almost no one was taught anything about. Doing it as an entrepreneur is even more challenging, especially without support. 
So if you're ready to get clear on what financial freedom looks like for you, come up with an action plan and get the support systems and accountability you need, I invite you to consider the Abundantly Infinite Entrepreneur. I created the program to help entrepreneurs just like you get a handle on their personal and business finances and start building confidently towards financial freedom. And it's how you can discover ways to take 10 years off your retirement, add an extra five or six figures to your portfolio, and finally get clear on what numbers you should be tracking in your business and why. Together, we'll gain clarity around your financial goals and what being financially free would actually look like for you. Then we'll put together a customized game plan to get you there and the accountability to see you through. And by the way, you're also gonna get all the spreadsheets you need to run your numbers, lifetime access to the materials, including any updates, and entry into our members-only community. In addition to all the knowledge, coaching, community, and systems that you need to create financial freedom from your business, you'll also receive a free financial assessment, a retirement planning session, and guided meditation aimed at helping you embody the feeling of true financial freedom. So yeah, you can just listen to the free content on these podcasts to help you move towards becoming a financially free entrepreneur. And sure, you'll likely see some results, or you can make the decision to commit to learning, implementing, and embodying what you need to know to create the financially free life you dreamed of when you started your business journey. Click the link in the show notes to answer a quick questionnaire, and you'll be on your way to joining the Abundantly Infinite Entrepreneur.